The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. It's Chuck and Chernoff. Na, 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 na. It's Chuck and Chernoff. It's 3 o'clock on the dot. You know what that means. It's time for Matt, Lana, and the King. Na, 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 na. It's Chuck and Chernoff. Na, 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 na. It's Chuck and Chernoff on the fan. Driving home Atlanta is a traffic jam. We've got Chuck and Chernoff on the fan. Na, 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 na. It's Chuck and Chernoff. Na, 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 na. It's Chuck and Chernoff on the fan. It is Chuck and Chernoff. Certainly by name and time slot, but it is Chuck and Westy. Steve West in for Matt Chernoff, who's gone for just a couple of more days in Florida with his chillins and wife, and they're having a blast, I'm sure, at Disney. How has the weather been down there? It's turned fantastic here. I hope it's been good for him in Orlando. He has the best week possible when you're down there with three kids. <laughs> and uh, then comes back next week, and we'll be back talking sports. But as I said, Steve West is here. Steve, uh, so glad you're available to come in and talk a little sports today. I'm glad to be here, Chuck, as always. Brave spring training going on. We normally have the handoff, but not this week, uh, at least not in person, because Nick and Chris are down in Northport uh, at the Brave Spring training site. I mentioned this yesterday. That would be a 548-mile handoff. I so want to be there. I'm oh, so yeah. jealous. I so want to get back to spring training, and they're, they're going to be there all week. We had gone for 10 straight, and we knew that the last in Orlando was going to be 2019, we didn't know that it was going to be the last actual full spring training for four years, which is what it is. So spring training games start this Saturday, Boston and Atlanta, and that's where we sit with spring training with now three days of workouts under their belts. Yeah, spring is here. As I was making the drive in today, and I heard that Nick and Chris were down at training camp or spring training, I, the first thing that goes through my head is that, wait, wait, wait. I wasn't supposed to catch a flight this morning, was I? No, I'm no. not supposed to be at spring training. No. But then I got your email, and it said studio, so I knew it was good. But uh, I got to thinking, I said, you know, it's springtime like weather here. Spring break for college has got to be starting soon, right? Spring break for college is underway right now no. for the University of New Orleans. No. Or Washington and Lee University. Because you said that, and yes. it, I was... I was literally in the in the motion of sitting back in the chair to think now wait a minute it'll probably be march 8th 9th or 10th and you no, they're on spring break now okay monday loyola marymount eastern michigan oakland university university of michigan north carolina charlotte siena st bonaventure st john's wright state duquesne that's next week and that's then the next week question, it really gets going are, are they on quarters like what are they doing they're they're on spring break but are uh, they well, Sending you home for two and a half weeks in the middle of the semester? Well, it's a week, basically. March 4th, Auburn, spring break, 4th to the 11th. It's here, Chuck. Spring is here. Way, way, way different calendar. Speaking of different, the Atlanta Hawks, they're 29 and 30. That was not supposed to be the case. Uh, they certainly weren't supposed to enter the break losing the two games that they lost. Not one of them, at least to Charlotte. Uh, 29 and 30, and they don't have their head coach anymore. They don't really have any coach. Nate McMillan fired during the All-Star break. There's still a couple of days before the Hawks get back on the court. Uh, but again, 29 and 30, you want to get to six. Nah, that ain't happening. They probably will. They're good enough to play b better than they've played. They're not good enough to do anything of significance in April and May. And so they fired Nate. They have Joe Prunty as an interim coach. They're looking around. Quinn Schneider is the name that's come up. Uh, it was not supposed to be here. This was not supposed to be where this franchise was under any reasonable unfolding of the last season and a half since the loss to Milwaukee in the conference finals. I would have said even after the loss, I would have said, all right, the next year and a half, I wouldn't have given you anything that looked like this. Yeah, I'll never forget. I, I think it was one of the games against Philadelphia 
Might have been the first home game against Philadelphia at State Farm Arena. It was a Friday night. We had the 680 The Fan Golf Classic, and then I made the trip down to the game. And that's the famous Instagram picture of myself and 2 chains, and he's got the, that's the, right. the belt and pregame. And I just, what a great, great time that spring was. And you win. It seemed a, like the beginning of something, didn't it? Yeah. You win a game against Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals without Trey Young. It's the Lou game. They go on to win the series, Milwaukee does, without Giannis for two games. But you thought that was the beginning of something special. In no way, uh, much like you said, Chuck, did I envision that merely two years later, uh, we would be looking at a reboot here. Now, before I get to Joe Prunty, when they got rid of Lloyd Pierce and brought in Nate, the coaching thing in the NBA, it's good cop, bad cop, right? Bring an football, offensive guy, now you bring a defensive coach, guy. Yeah. It's a, so was Nate McMillan the good cop to Lloyd Pierce's bad cop? And now is Joe Prunty the good cop to Nate's bad cop? Or is it the other way? It couldn't have been the X's and O's because wasn't Lloyd a defensive specialist? And he Nate? was supposed to be. And Nate, he's supposed to be. And Nate was known as more of just a, I don't want to say plotting, but more of a deliberate, just traditional X's and O's. There wasn't anything distinctive about his, his offense. I think it was he was kind of a good guy that everybody got along with, whereas Lloyd could be a hard ass. Was that it? Yeah, and of course, Nate had been a head coach in the NBA previously with the Portland Trailblazers, so he had the experience. And the Pacers. And- yeah, I got Joe Prunty's resume out here. He's an NBA lifer. Got his start in San Antonio in 96. Assistant video coordinator. That's how you start under Pop. That's, that's, that's Thomas how, Dimitrov yeah, painting the field. That's how... Uh, Coach Bud started under Pop. Which is all well and good, but he is there to fill up lineup cards and take timeouts until the actual coach is hired. Landry Fields was asked when he started to think a change was needed. It's been on my radar probably the last month. You never want to put too much stock into any one or two particular games, but at Charlotte and the Knicks game were definitely strong indicators for me. You know, it was something that I wanted to make sure to wait till yesterday to do it. I didn't want to have any distractions with people while they were on break, and I also wanted to make sure that I did this face-to-face with Nate, and that was the time. Landry Fields explaining uh, when he started to think a month ago, and I said the past two losses... The Knicks think they have something going. Charlotte, Charlotte's a bad team, and they scored a whole bunch of points. Landry Fields, did any player, Trey Young, did any player have a role in this decision? And will any player, Trey Young, have input on the next coach? They did not have any role in this decision. This was solely my decision. Uh, as far as you know, a new candidate, to me, our objectives and our values are clear. Players fall in line with those as well. Don't necessarily need their feedback on who that will be. That's not true. That's my opinion, by the way. Landry Fields, I don't know. I've never spoken to him. I don't know him. But I don't, I think in the NBA, I mean, I, well, in sports, it's about the suit. The superstars are different. And I'll say, especially in the NBA, I don't think in baseball you necessarily ask Bryce Harper who you want us to hire as the new manager because it doesn't really matter. It's kind of a, you fill up the lineup card. Um, in the NBA, I think that's way, way, way different. Um, in the NFL, I think it's it absolutely is. So for him to say that's not going to have a role, I don't believe that's accurate. Well, I think you would have a player that was a lot farther along in his career and maybe a little bit more accomplished that might have a say in something like that, just throwing out a name like LeBron James. I don't know that you give Trey Young that kind of clout at this stage of his maybe career. Not. Maybe maybe you make a change because of Trey Young. But what does he know about Quinn Snyder? See, that's what I'm saying. Not verbalized, but you said because you said, I don't know if you make a change because of, or you don't fire him or let Trey Young have the say-so. I agree with that in a literal sense. So maybe it's not verbal. Why'd Lloyd get fired, Trey? Well, they weren't getting along. Yeah, why'd they get fired, Trey? Why is the team going to succeed, Trey? Why are they going to fail, Trey? If they're having a better season than advertised, why is it? Probably because Trey's having an MVP year. If they're having a season below what it's supposed to be, why? Probably something based around Trey. He's he's the guy. Well, the team needs to play better defense. Sure. And when Trey Young is on the floor playing D, it's four against five. Just be honest In about a lot that. of cases, yeah. It's four against five. Trey, here's the goal for my goal for if 
if I were Trey or if I were the coach or anybody concerned, just make the guy pass. Whoever has the ball. that He's a great assist, man. He's a brilliant just passer. Trey. No, Trey, I'm saying if I'm with the Hawks, Trey's goal on defense is make the guy pass. Just whoever you're guarding, make him pass. That's it. Don't I, block it. Don't create a steal. Don't beam I the, up. I, I think the goal is less than that. I think it's just be disruptive in the yeah, passing just, lanes. That's it. Just be disruptive in the passing lanes. Can you do that for me? It's not break him down on the wing, and when he drives one-on-one, you swat that ish into the – no, it's just make him give up the ball. If you could do – but you, you know why you can do that? Being really, really, really fast. And on when you have the ball – I've said he is as fast as any point guard in the NBA since probably when Derrick Rose was healthy and it was impossible to stay in front of Derrick Rose. Put that to use on defense. Just stay in front of the guy and make him pass it to any, and then come what may. But that doesn't happen. All right, let's get back to Joe Prunty before we get to Quinn Snyder. Okay, he says, so, oh, I can't get to Quinn Snyder. So, I don't so, have so, so he's an you. NBA lifer. He ends up being a part of three NBA championship teams there in San Antonio, 99-03-05. Then Dallas, Portland, Cleveland, Brooklyn. Atlanta, Phoenix, Milwaukee. Before he got into coaching, he was a beer salesman for Anheuser-Busch. And then he gets into high school coaching in San Diego. He coaches Luke Walton, Mark Pryor, and Carlos Quentin before embarking upon the coaching career. And, oh, by the way, he was also the coach of the Great Britain men's national team from 2013 to 2017. So kind of an interesting resume, though, for Joe Pronti. He's been an NBA lifer, and now... Finally, for a while anyway, he's, he's okay. the head man in Atlanta. Let me ask you a weird question here, and this is top of mind, because you're going over that resume. Do you remember when Snit got the job interim? Was it 9 and 28, or what were the Braves when they canned Freddie? I think it was like 9 uh, and 28. Bad. I said, this is a guy who was drafted by the Braves in 1977. I said, this is a thread count reward. For the rest of this season, they're going to say, Snit, we're bringing you back to the bigs. You get to stay at... Wyndham's instead of Hamptons. This is a thread count reward. This is a thread count reward for Joe Pronti, isn't it? That's all this is. I just think it's we haven't made up our mind about who the next coach and it might is going to be. Th- it might be for three days. You think he makes it to the end of the year? Oh, I don't know how long Joe Pronti will be the coach. I'm saying it doesn't matter. He's not going to be the coach. Who else is on this staff that would have been qualified? I mean, I... That's a pretty impressive resume as far as being around Pop, three sure. championships, yeah, all those absolutely. teams, the NBA, coaching a national team. So I guess he was the most qualified guy to step in here. Now, the question is, how much longer is this going to go on? Is this till the end of the That's year? That's what I was saying. Is it, it may, interim till the end of the year or is it interim till Quinn Snyder comes It may in? last three games. I don't know. I have no idea. But whatever the move is, that's the, the big takeaway is it doesn't matter because this team can't accomplish anything this year there is no sudden turnaround in the disney film of how they got on a run and then they played for the championship i mean if you're let's throw some names out besides snyder uh steve nash uh, was lakers coach and was with brooklyn and was nash's assistant mike uh d'antoni why would you want to get into this situation right now Mike D'Antoni. Well, he may, he, may, he may like that. Trey may like that to go up-tempo. But whatever, the point is that this season isn't savable. It's not. They're going to make the playoffs I would because they'll be one of the 10 best or they'll be one of the 10 who's good enough, but it's not going to equal anything. Uh, we got Chris Domino coming up. We've been talking to a Braves guest every day this week from down yonder in Northport. Had Mark Bowman from MLB.com on Monday. Yesterday, Ben Ingram joined us, of course, uh, from 680, the flagship uh, broadcasting the games there on radio today. Chris Domino, our own Chris Domino down there with Nick Cellini all week. We will catch up with him. Something we're going to talk about, Mike Soroka, tight hamstring. Says it is a kick to the groin. Mike Soroka is one of those guys that I have continuously set the bar back to, all right, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what, to the point that I had a complete surrender. After last year, I had a complete surrender. I said, I've been wanting him back too soon, Give him the entire offseason, as long as he needs. Just come in at the start of spring training because more than anything what I want is for him to have a clean, full six weeks. He shows up, can't even start. And so that's me being frustrated. I'm certain he's frustrated as well, uh, but I'm really frustrated by this. Well, it's a setback for him personally. 
Uh, I don't know how much of a setback it is for the Braves because I think they have a lot of depth and competition. But for I don't that think they have any spot. plans for him. And the Kyle Wright news that we yeah. heard from Nick and Chris earlier was a bit more disturbing to me because obviously you have higher expectations there. You have a track record, longer track record there. You have a 20-game winner for the first time since Russ Ortiz back in 03. First Braves pitcher to lead the majors and win since Tom Glavin in 2000. Uh, breakout season for him after being so stout in the World Series the year before. And he's saying the feeling was sticky, catchy. I think Nick said like a like a bad bicycle chain. That's not something good you want to hear from a 21-game winner. So we will have the latest from Chris Domino down yonder in Northport live. Uh, also last night, UGA basketball, uh, they lost to a better team. A team, UGA, they fight, they scrap. They have a better record than probably the roster is. Uh, but they've run up against a really good team this past weekend. And then last night, they lost by 30 as well. Well, you go to Alabama after Alabama gets beat by Tennessee, and, you know, that's probably not going to go very well. Uh, I think Mike White has gotten the most that he can out of this roster that has, what, eight newcomers, two incoming recruits, six transfer players. You have guys. Oh, yeah, I mean, players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He showed up in him at three. Kerry Okendo is a good player, yeah. one of the holdovers. Yeah. Mardres McBride was a very good player at North Texas. He was a crater. When he uh, showed up. And so they've turned him into yeah. a competitive, scrappy fight. And again, this isn't about March or, God forbid, April. This is about it's February and you're playing kind of competitive basketball. Well, maybe they can get some extra games out of an NIT yep. or a, C, C, I, a CBA or what? CB, College CIT? Basketball Insider. Yeah. CBI. College Basketball Invitational and CBI. Mm-hmm. Get some extra games, but it's certainly better than where it was there you know, at the end of the previous regime. Or the, previous, the worst or the previous season. Well, the Mark Fox regime, by comparison to the Tom Crean regime, looked like championship caliber. Uh, George Tech loses to Pitt last night, 76-68. Um, this is not supposed to be true, but it's true. Pitt's starting five is older than the OKC Thunder. The Pitt Panthers, Josh Pashner said this. Pitt's starting five is 23 years and like 19 days or something. Uh, OKC's is 21 years, six months, and five days. Like the Pitt Pan, they're an old man grown, especially for college basketball. This is not how, where we have five seniors and a fifth-year guy. That's not what college hoops is anymore. And so Georgia Tech, they played, um, like I said, Georgia is kind of scrapping and fighting and trying to do whatever. Pitt's a really good team, and Georgia Tech is not. And so they go down again, and Pastner's crew uh, lose another ball game. Yeah, it's depressing. And you, what you're saying about Pitt, obviously, you have extra year for COVID, enhanced transfer rules, uh, grad transfers, et cetera. And something for those transfers to land at, something to look at yeah. Pitt and go, mm, okay, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You have a chance to get old. I don't know how long they're going to stay old. But in the ACC this year, it's enough for them to be one of the ones carrying the banner for the conference. When you can check in as a student for five and a half months, play two semesters, work the basketball, and get gone when you got literally one chance to do it, absolutely. NFL Combine starts next week. We will have potentially a special guest. Mm, I don't want to tease that. Mm, maybe post the Combine. I'll tell you more about that later. Uh, winging an idea. It's time to wing it. Presented by WNB Factory. Serving up Atlanta's best wings and burgers with over 60 locations. Find yours at WNBFactory.com. All right, this one's going to be simple. Uh, We were talking earlier. Tough times for Corey Bierman and his wife, Kim Zolciak. They lost the crib. House in Fulton County in foreclosure. This one's simple, though. Just tweet us a picture of your favorite Falcon. Your favorite former Falcon. BJ has tweeted out a picture of Gerald Riggs because I don't know how to put a picture on. But so I have Gerald Riggs, hopefully in the white jersey. White jersey, silver pants, red helmet, number 42, Gerald Riggs. So tweet us a picture, simple as could be, your favorite former Falcon, because Croy was a really good guy too. I liked him. Your favorite former Falcon? Do I have to say it now or can I tweet the picture? Well, you're going to tweet a picture, but who is it going to be? Do you know? I'm thinking about that right now, but it's from that era. So you're sifting, the, though. You're not trying to come up with one. You've got like eight, I'm sure, that you... I'm, I'm going to go with someone that's pretty obscure and no longer alive. Hoyt doesn't have a favorite Falcon. Tony Taylor. Oh, you do have a favorite Falcon. You know, there's a Falcon on the morning show. 
BJ, do you have a favorite form of falcon? Tim Dwight, he was supposed to replace that falcon on the morning show. Yeah, there's one on the morning show. Dan, do you have a favorite former falcon? Great guy, nice guy, Matt Ryan. There's one on the morning show. So, all right, that's what it is. Tweet us your favorite former falcon. Pick or he didn't happen. Um, we're going to take a break. Coming up next, I've never had anything but a great time in New Orleans. In one specific way, I will pass. That's next on Chuck and Turnoff. Thank you, Dan. Chuck and Turnoff on this Wednesday. No turnoff. We got Steve West. Three o'clock hour brought to you by This Stuff Matters. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe to This Stuff Matters podcast. Post on 680 the fans' website under the podcast header or at thisstuffmatters.net. Coming up in 10 minutes, we will head to Northport to check on in on all things baseball, dead and alive. Chris Tomino. Steve, you travel quite a bit, and we have uh, some coming up a little later. We will talk just some of your random travels from time to time. <clears throat> but I've been really clear. I have had never had literally never had anything but a great time in New Orleans. That's interesting. In one specific way, I will pass on a trip even to the Big Easy. Love me some NOLA. I will say Orlando can be perfectly fine as well. And an even better setting for LSU Florida State's two-game series would have been Baton Rouge and Tallahassee. Now, thankfully, that is the overwhelming trend going forward, especially with the big dog programs. Um, how this matters to Atlanta, if there's a lot of women to go around here, uh, but the kick in the groin is to one specific demographic and it's fan bases of pretty good ish programs and i'm talking about the nc state missouri level of programs the week one neutral site paycheck games they're not going away they're just going to campus like what we have always seen number one versus number four that has been a week one neutral site paycheck game whether it's been atlanta orlando dallas houston wherever Alabama, for instance, is still signing up to play those games. They're just going to play at Wisconsin. They're just going to play in Tallahassee. They're going to play at West Virginia. They have a home-and-home home with Ohio State, like a real on-campus home-and-home. Same thing with Notre Dame over the next six, seven years. If you look, so they're still scheduling those games, but the big dog programs have taken them away from Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, Orlando, and they're moving them to campus sites. So that's the first thing. The loser that I say are the fan bases of the good to good-ish teams. That's who's going to populate all these week one neutral site paycheck games because the matchups will still exist. They'll just be on campus, the good matchups. The games will still exist in Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, Orlando. They'll just have lower-tier matchups. Instead of having number one Alabama versus number three Florida State, that was the Chick-fil-A kickoff game six years ago. You know what they have coming up? They do have a Georgia-Clemson game that's on the books. They also got Louisville-Georgia Tech. They got Tennessee-Syracuse. They got South Carolina-Virginia Tech. The days of nine versus four in your week one game, the neutral site, that's, that's gone away. And I think it's awesome. I love New Orleans. LSU, Florida State should not have been in New Orleans. The, 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 the game two of the series is this year in Orlando. So shouldn't be in Orlando either. Should have been on campus. And thankfully, that's where they're headed. Well, let's see where Syracuse and Tennessee are when they play in Atlanta in what year? 2025. A lot can change, as we saw with Tennessee just since a year ago. But it's the caliber of the programs and the options they have right now and where they're signing on to yeah. do these games. Like Alabama and Ohio State are looking at the week one neutral sites and going, nah, we're doing on campus Well, now. it's because you have Austin P. late in the year in Tuscaloosa and the stadium's half empty. Nick Saban's been adamant about this for a long time. You've got to give the folks that are paying the freight, buying the tickets, paying that yearly fee, donation, whatever you want to call it, to keep their season tickets, you've got to give them some value for that investment, some return on that investment. And quite frankly, Charleston Southern or Austin P or Wofford, that doesn't really represent return on your investment to the fans when you got all kinds of other entertainment options that are on the table there. And oh, by the way, you got a good basketball team now, a really good basketball team. 
Um, I think you're still going to have neutral side games. As you said, it's just not maybe going to be the top-tier teams. And can I, I want to interject real quick. The reason I said those fan bases lose is because if you're a fan base of a program that is going to be pursued now for those games, the ticket prices, understand it's basically double what it would be for an on-campus game. It may be 225 250 versus what it would be on campus. And instead of a Bama or Michigan or who LSU fans saying, well, it is Bama or LSU or Michigan, it's going to be Louisville and Syracuse fans going, it's 250 again for me to go all the way down to Charlotte. Um, that's, what the, that's, that's why I say they get screwed. Well, the first year, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the first year that they had two Chick-fil-A kickoff games. Tennessee NC State was one of them. Was that right? Well, I'm, if it wasn't the first year, it was one of the years where they had two they had, early on. They had two in 2012. They had Tennessee and NC State and Clemson-Auburn. And then they had Ole Miss-Boise okay. and Alabama-West Virginia. Right, that's the one I'm thinking of. That was 17. Alabama-West Virginia. 14. We know that game sold out or was close to a sellout. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Boise State and Ole Miss drew a crowd in the mid-30s. 33. So that's what you're looking at now if you go to either lower caliber power five programs and or group of five schools being involved in these kind of games. I think that's the textbook example of look at the attendance for Ole Miss and Boise State that year. I believe it was still at the Georgia Dome. Yeah, Clemson, Georgia Tech this past year was, I'll say. It, or was that the first year of the Mercedes-Benz? You said 2017? Uh, 2017 was Alabama and Florida State. That's one versus three, so you get 76,000. Tennessee, Georgia Tech, 75,000. That was the Butch game in overtime. Uh, that's been for some of them. You also had Ole Miss and Louisville played in front of 30,000, and Clemson and Georgia Tech had 45,000. So uh, that's going to be more the caliber. You're not going to have matchups like this going forward. It's just not in the cards well, for the major programs I don't anymore. see how you can continue to charge Alabama – West Virginia ticket prices for games that are not involving teams of that caliber. Not if you want to have more than 35,000 people in the building, right? And that is what they wind up getting. It's going to be the sponsor money. It's going to be the TV money, the ticket sales. There's only three ways to get money for this. Uh, the ticket sales will be the third, and they'll let that uh, be the I mean, How third embarrassing would it be team. to have a college football game at Mercedes-Benz with the half-house configuration like Atlanta United uses for much of the season? That's what you're looking at. Like Legion Field with tarps over the upper deck. Uh the winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Uh, let's head down to Northport. Domino, Cellini, been down there all week. Three days of coverage in the book so far. Three days of full workouts. Chris Domino, welcome. It's me and Steve West. How you doing, man? I'm listen, Chuck. I'm tired. Uh, it's what happens when you have to talk for a few hours and watch other grown men almost do physical things like play baseball or practice baseball. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a hell of a day. It's been grueling. What time? Least, what time? Are, what time are you there? Because I know that when we, Matt and I would go, and the games have already started, so they're on. I guess more right. of a schedule based around a twelve oh five first pitch. Matt mm -hmm. to get there like seven a.m. and stay there for like five hours what's your schedule yeah i'm seven 
Uh, it was actually a couple minutes before that yesterday. Uh, we did something with Kevin Seitz or a little bit before 8 today. Had a chance to catch up with a couple of guys before the clubhouse officially opened. So, yeah, 7 o'clock. I mean, it's it's a really good time. Sun's good. It really, you hate to say it, it's like not an exaggeration. It's really pretty down here. This is so much different. The whole vibe is so much different than Orlando. Uh, the weather's been perfect certainly for a few days, which is great because the ability to get all the work in with all the room that they have here outside is is such a big thing. And, and I'm not kidding. We walked, had an opportunity to walk into the gym area, the, the workout facility. And you know it and I know it. And people, I think, have thought we've been joking about this for over 20 years. What was in Orlando, a Disney company facility, was a light press and a recumbent bike in the hallway because there was no room for it. The Tampa Rays are working out there now because, unfortunately, their place got destroyed during the storm. They realized that it wasn't enough room. They tented over where Braves executives used to park and have their weight room outside now. Legitimately, their workout stuff is outside because – they just realized that that one small room in Orlando was never going to work. Now, Chris, we realize the vast majority of these athletes that report to spring training, they're, they're training year-round, they're, they're in shape. But I'm just wondering, and it's been 20 years since I've been to spring training, you might have seen the, the club take a few laps around the bases or maybe run out yeah. by the warning track. What's the conditioning element of spring training in the year 2023? Strength, core. Um, it's funny you say that. I put a picture up on Twitter. At about 7.20 this morning, right outside the, the facility, the gym I was talking about, they have two walls. And Austin Riley and Matt Olson were with the strength and conditioning coach, one of them. By the way, there were multiples. They were playing heavy ball against the wall. So it was core work, flexibility work, but also strength work. So, yeah, today I actually did see, it's funny you mentioned that, the home to second, second to home, and it looks like, well, how's anybody going to be ready to play baseball if this is the only thing you're doing? But it's not. It's really big stretching. The They have a grass field. Like, Chuck, it's, the, the grass field itself is nicer than anything that was in Orlando, including the stadium itself. And they set up all the cones and the bands and all that stuff is going on early in the morning before they ever actually get onto the baseball field. I want to ask a general question because I'm sure I'm wrong, but I've said if you got me to opening day, I could manage major league team. I could I could fill out the lineup card. I could change the pitchers. I could do all that. Here's what I have never been able to been able to figure out. I'm just going to pick a random guy, Hunter Renfro. He's 31 okay. years old. He's been in the bigs for nine years. What the hell do you do to occupy a 31 year old nine year vet for five weeks in Florida? I have no. What do you What do you do with that that guy? Uh, whew. I think you try to get them as fine-tuned as possible because there's going to be a reality check that they'll never be as healthy as this. So let's get them out of the gate. What does he need to be ready to play in April? You know, the infamous, you, you know, you can't win a division in April, but you can lose it in April. I think one of the things is as long as you come out of spring training relatively healthy, collectively relatively healthy, this might be the healthiest that guys are. And I think each guy maybe has – because I'm not kidding, there are multiple strength coaches here. There is a nutritionist that is on the field as they were working out today, and a lot of it was uh, water. What powder? Do you want the electrolytes? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? So all of that stuff now is, I think, geared towards getting guys at an optimum. It's it's not just working out with your brother, you know, in Texas where you live during the off season. This is to get them at the point where. The bell goes off, and I get as much good health out of these guys as possible. The number of ABs you want, how much do you want to throw, what do you think your pitch count has to be up to to get you to that point where going up to D.C. you are ready to take the baseball. Okay, get, get I kind of think that's what it is. This is kind of funny, but it's also it's kind of related to what you're saying because this used to be a thing. What has to happen for major league players to bring back wearing the shiny jacket under the jersey? Because that used to be a way to, to get a little less fat. And you remember it would be buttoned up all the way with the collar laying oh, down yeah. over the yeah. top of the jersey. Yeah, if anybody's ever known a wrestler as well, you would know that to make weight, you might you might have to. And and that's probably in up until the 80s thing. Um, you know, let's let's just try to take a little more water off these guys. Maybe the early 90s, but it, but it really smells like 70s and 80s. Yeah. I, I don't. Let me tell you this: the coaching staff. There are guys who I know are older than players, not much older, 
but you got to see these guys. You know, coaches usually come in shapes. When you go to the major league level for decades, coaches had shapes. These guys all have one shape, and it's ridiculous. It's all tapered. Like every uniform on the coaching staff, like you can tell these guys have taken care of themselves for a long time as opposed to the guys who are just trying to – Mark DeRosa told us, you know, he's coaching World, World Baseball Classic team. His first line was, I got to work on the flanks. I'm putting a uniform on again. Oh. I got a chipper. Last week joked about it. These coaches down here, these guys look they look like they were drawn. So Danny Ozark's not a thing anymore. Don Zimmer's not a no. thing. <laughs> no, it's funny that when you see the Braves staff, because one of the things is you could say veteran, you might want to say oldish, um, been around, grizzled. There is some shape on on the staff. If you look at younger staff and younger coaches and the guys who are going to the backfields with minor league players, these guys all look like they could play. Every single one of them looks like they could play today. Chris, uh, I was listening to the show on the way in this uh, morning, and I did hear your comments regarding Kyle Wright and his health situation. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, you just, I think Friday, look, I think there's going to be little benchmarks. Um, Friday is one. That'll be a throw. Then what is it we know? It's, it's 24 hours, but usually it's 48 hours. And you're healthy, healthy in athlete standards when you can go do something the next day without a restriction. That's going to be a little bit for him. And it does look like if it's not Washington, and I do think if Friday only goes half well, he, he won't be starting one of those three games in D.C. I just don't think that you really want to cram five pounds of it into a one-pound bag to get him rushed at the end. They will play cautionary tale with everybody they're supposed to. They're supposed to play cautionary tale with him. Brian Zicker told us, look, nobody's happy that he can't sort of hit the ground running. And and I'll tell you, I saw live BP today, and Spencer Strider was throwing a Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, but Travis Dono behind the plate. Spencer Strider looks like he, he, he had a start five days ago, and that's what you hope for. For all these guys, Kyle Wright is not going to fall into that. So my guess is if Friday goes well, you cross your fingers that three legitimate starts as you know the, the second week in March is taking place puts him in a position to maybe be ready for the St. Louis series and certainly when they come home after that opening round. All right, Chris, last thing. Um, I was just doing some accounting, and I think, I guess, if seven, the only reason I say this is 1976 was the first year I really watched baseball all the yeah. time. Uh, it's important because that's 47 years and only three times I could think of I have seen a pitcher burst onto the scene and kind of take over baseball. One was Fidrich. It happened with Fernando yep. and maybe Gooden. Yep. Spencer Strider, totally different, especially from Fernando with the screwball and all that. But Spencer Strider was as good as any of those three guys and maybe anybody else I could come up with. But it is so rare for a rookie pitcher to come up and look damn near unhittable. Yeah, and Chuck, what's really interesting is all of those guys are pre-social media. Now, Spencer Strider doesn't really give six reps. The change in the number to 99 was a thing. The mustache is a thing. Uh, I'm not telling you, listen, everybody wants to probably be more famous and more rich than they are, even with the contract that he signed. But in social media terms, your ability to see him in the palm of your hand, literally on your phone, gives him an advantage over all those guys. Now, is he playing in New York? No. But does he play for a contender? Yes. What will happen this year is probably going to determine, like, do we look at him as a start? Let me ask you, was he good enough last year where consideration for the All-Star game becomes a given before they break camp? I, I think he's on the short list. I of, believe so. Uh, yeah. Don't I want to see this guy pitch against the best And you have to have some advanced billing. You're right. You have to earn your way into yeah. the conversation, right or wrong. You have to. And I think his style, what it is he is, his size, the size of his legs, the mustache, and obviously the ability. I'm telling you today, watching Ozzie and Ronald, you know, we talk about who has an advantage. Spencer Strider just, he, he, he looked like it was a Tuesday in June. I, I don't know if that's a freakish thing or not. I'm not telling you he threw for a long time, but it was just interesting to watch him work. Everything looked exactly like you saw last year. And when you hear the ball pop, February, whatever the hell this is, you go, oh, I don't think this guy really, I don't think he came in to get loose. Yeah. I actually think he yeah. came into the building uh, loose. I guess I, yeah, when I was deficient, I got to put Kerry Wood in there, I guess, right? He did yeah. that. Uh, well, look, Strasburg was a guy, and boy, is he the, the cautionary tale of 
the money and the MVP in a World Series and everything else and what's come from it. You know, it's it's hard to be an ace. My definition is four to five years you go to the post every day you're supposed to, and you're on the mound, which gives me a better chance to win tonight than the other guy. That's an ace for me. How many guys make it four and five years? It's really, really tough at the beginning of a career to, to sustain it. And I think that's the one thing that everybody's hoping for. You know, he's the one pitcher that they went in on, on money and an extension of years. Everybody's hoping that the guy we saw last year is going to become the guy that not only takes the baseball every five days, but, but probably is a highlight package. He certainly looks like he has that stuff. And last one, I think I aged, I don't know if you heard, we had Kevin Seitz on. I asked him if the donut was ever going to come back. Oh. And he told me, <laughs> yeah, he told me he didn't use a donut. I said, what? Like, I don't know how old he is compared to me. I said, he had the, it was the very beginning of the metal. The weighted, yeah. Yeah, where they had yeah. the yeah, where they had the the skinny part of it, and then they got fat yeah. with yeah, the metal thing. But I thought yeah. I thought he was a donut guy. I think he looked at me like I had aged him. He tried to tell me that they have a donut. It's the cylinder donut now that they use mm-hmm. that white plastic thing. Oh yeah, it looks like the PVC pipe. Yeah, they slide yeah, open, but not it. like the old school donut. donut. <laughs> and because I'd asked him if he ever had a hard time getting out of the on deck circle, getting the donut off the bat, where it's a little bit embarrassing. I think we all sort of have. If you're old enough. That vision of a guy just pounding, pounding the oh, knob yeah. on the ground to try to get this thing off, and it didn't happen. Chris Domino. But that wasn't his world. Live from Northport. Uh, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll see you live next week. All right, gentlemen. See ya. All right. Again, uh, De- Domino and Cellini down there uh, all week. Uh, Could have been like Dave Parker. He used to swing a sledgehammer. In the on-deck circle. I used to use multiple donuts, remember? They would have different size yeah. donuts. You would put a couple of them on the bat. And only because you, I saw Bill Madlock do it, so I guess I'll do it as well. Uh, we got Steve West in for Matt Chernoff. He's in Florida for the rest of the week. He'll be back next week as well. Chuck Oliver with you. Here until just 6 tonight. Is that right? And then the front rows audio fun bag with Dylan Short. So me and Westy taking you to 6. Thank you, Dan, and thank you, Chris Domino. Talking to us from Northport about this, that, and whatever else with the Braves. Chilino and Domini all week in Northport. Who is that? Come on, Hanover. 3, p- 3 p.m. hour brought to you by This Stuff Matters. Like and subscribe to This Stuff Matters. Post on the 680 The Fan website under the podcast header or at thisstuffmatters.net. There's a tough truth for one Power 5 conference that needs college football playoff expansion just a little too much. All right? That's the ACC. They need playoff expansion in college football so that they, they can be included every year. Uh, the tough truth is, and Steve, I saw you sent out a tweet last night, and I was like, oh, damn, he's right. The ACC stinks as a basketball conference this season, too. That is true. That is not up for debate. The ACC's average strength of net ranking. Which is the average ranking of all the members in the conference this season. That's all it is. It's not reputation. It's not North Carolina and what they normally are. It's what anybody is this very season. And it's a little bit gruesome for the ACC. It's very gruesome for the ACC. And let me find that tweet. Or actually, I can find that screenshot here. We just put this in perspective for you. The number one net rank average by conference, Big 12, no surprise, 27 is the average net ranking. That's the teams at the top, and that's all the way down to Texas Tech, who, by the way, has now won four games in a row. absurd, which makes you look at a team like Baylor. Well, they're not as good. Look at their record. Or Kansas. Well, they're not in the top four. or what. And you think maybe if you survive that war, maybe it means a little it more. It is a war every yeah. night of the week in that conference. I'm turning on a Big Oklahoma 12 game. State, it's just, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it's incredible. The Big Ten is next. The average net ranking goes all the way down to 59 for the Big Ten. SEC is third on the list. Their average net ranking, 72. And that's a a conference that I think has two teams that legitimately could win a national championship. The SEC's top-heavy. Yeah. It's top-heavy this year. I, I will not debate that. The Big East comes up next. Average net ranking of 78. 
Mountain West having a good year. Five teams in the top 47 of the net rankings, and their average net ranking is 87. The Pac-12, it may only be two or three bids for the Pac-12 this year. Their net ranking is 94. And then here comes the ACC. In triple digits, average net ranking for the Atlantic Coast Conference, 110. That's like the Atlantic Sun or Conference USA. This should not happen. I know this runs in cycles, okay? I know this stuff is cyclical, but there is no way that the ACC should be in triple digits, let alone 23 spots behind the Mountain West. That should never happen. I want to give an ask as far as anything else. It's February 22nd, and ultimately what happens on like April 4th or 5th, that's what's going to matter. Well, look at the run that North Carolina made last year. And if you can get hot, then that's that's all we remember. Not, I remember that 86 Louisville was the first national champion with double-digit losses. That's the only time I remember what... Daryl Griffith, Denny Crum. That was six years later. Billy Thompson, Milt Wagner, et cetera. And I remember the other extreme, like uh, 76 Indiana went undefeated. If you go undefeated or you had a really a big number of loss, otherwise we don't remember whether you had two, three, four, five, six, seven losses during the regular season. Problem is for the ACC, it's hard to identify. Like Virginia's having a really good season, but then you look at the record and go, wait a minute, against the backdrop of a crappy conference. Uh, here is what I don't think is a very provocative statement. I mean, I don't think how anybody in the ACC could even push back on this. They got expansion wrong to this point, to this point. Expansion has not worked for the ACC. Um, So while they are actively cruising for potential programs to add, the conference has an additional giant priority that literally has never crossed Greg Sankey's mind. The ACC has to work to retain its current programs while also trying to go out and recruit new. Greg Sankey hasn't spent one minute wondering if, hey, think Missouri's going to leave? You think Texas A&M's going to leave? It's been one minute doing that. Phillips and them down in Greensboro, they're worried about, by the way, we always talk about Clemson and Florida State. I think UNC is the jewel. I think that's the real program that people will have ahead of Florida State or Clemson. I think Duke and North Carolina would be attractive for the Big Ten. It's not that far away. And they value basketball in that conference. Now, let me say this. And you get into North Carolina if you're the SEC, for instance. Now, let me say this. I'm not one of these guys. A lot of people my age, they look back. All they do is look back. Everything was better. Good old days. It was simpler, wonderful, blah, blah, blah. No, it wasn't for the most part. Okay? Technology, the way we consume sports, the the amount of sports we can watch, the memorabilia, the trading cards, the gear, the, the stadiums, the amenity. Everything is better today. Most everything. Except for the ACC. Okay, I think that the ACC was better when it was the Tobacco Road schools and Clemson and Maryland and Virginia. And I'm going way back with this, but I'm talking Lefty Drizel, Terry Holland, Bill Foster, Rick Barnes, uh, Dean Smith. It was just Coach K. It was just better in those days. And this move up the eastern seaboard has not done anything for that conference. I remember Miami came in and we were all licking our chops. Oh, we're going to have Miami and Florida State every year Play in the ACC twice. championship game. How often has that happened? Never, not once. Now I'll say this. Okay, well, what about the SEC, West? Okay, here's what I'll say. I don't think the old SEC pre-1992 expansion was better. Oh, when I you... think when they brought in Arkansas and they brought in South Carolina and they went to divisions and they had the SEC championship game, it was better. I think it was better when they brought in A&M, despite its lack of success. Missouri has had its moments. It's better. And all you got to do is look at all the national championships since the SEC has expanded. Oh, and don't forget basketball because Arkansas got one almost right out of the gate in 94. Kentucky backs that up in 96. You got Florida going back to back when Billy Donovan was there. It has worked better for the SEC. The SEC is better expanded. The ACC is not when, when you talk about the sec in like the 70s this is not in the 30s like there was a year i want to say alabama i think alabama won the sec and they went four one and one how are you the best team in the sec when you went four one and one in your six sec games and you didn't play the you know whatever it was just a weird setup and a much smaller conference with a much smaller set of games every year um, and so now it's 40 years later and you've got 
10 more teams in the conference and you're still going back to the single division model but it was not better you're right in the 70s it wasn't in the sec so you're buying my take that the sec from 1992 forward it's worked for them it's better now oh absolutely the sec now compared to other conferences in america i'll say this is the funny thing until about 92 i'm a huge fan obviously of the history and the heritage and all programs the sec wasn't much different than other conferences around america it wasn't much different than the southwest it wasn't much different than the big eight which only had eight teams and let's be honest how many teams did the big eight have really playing college football by four well you know what they called it big two yeah it, during the Bud Wilkinson days. So that's what you had. Nebraska and Oklahoma. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So you had you, you, the other conferences. The SEC was a really good conference, but they weren't better. They became better. The mustard seed was planted in 1992 at Legion Field. So absolutely. I agree with you. Basketball was better. No, it wasn't. Nothing was better. It's better now when I have 153 choices on a Saturday versus here's my 1 o'clock, here's my 730 game, and I don't have anything else. Everything is better. I agree with you. The ACC, mm -mm. they've somehow, it's kind of like, you know, last year I said Auburn. How do, you, how do you screw up the portal? How do you not win the portal? Auburn lost the portal somehow. The ACC, how do you lose expansion? And I think a lot of it for the SEC, obviously, is demographics and population shifts. But let's be honest, the ACC shares a portion of the SEC footprint. The ACC should have benefited in the same way that the SEC has. I just think they went out and expanded and got the wrong members, and they got too big. All right, it is Chuck and Westy. Uh, Going to take a break here. Coming up next, no amount of change will excuse the new benchmark that has already been set for one Atlanta team. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.